All right. Let's continue on. Are you all right? Um, I started two, no, it wasn't last, two weeks ago, I talked about um, all the lawlessness and darkness in this world. Anti-Semiticism is one of them, anti-Jewish. Grace, if you could click on the, the song that says message in front of it. I'm not going to, I'm just going to do a quick review from two weeks ago because I want to keep talking about it. This is an important deal. This world is falling apart faster than I ever thought it would fall apart. It's just nuts. And there's this divine division going on, and I'm not going to go deep into details with it, but I do want to um, talk about it and go a little bit further with it and review. We talked about the world is going one of two ways, and it's the way individual people go. The way if there's enough individual people in a county, that county is going to go that way. If there's enough individual people in society, in your family, that go in a certain direction, it's going to be that way. The same with a country and the same with nations. There's no such thing. I mean, there is a legal definition of a nation state with borders, but it's just people that are in it. And so as lawlessness increases, I'm telling you, at the same time, obedience is increasing. There is a divine division in all of us. Every one of us daily make a decision. Am I going to be a law unto myself? Am I going to decide what's right and wrong? That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. God will not stop you. He's a libertarian. If you don't know that political thing, go study it out. I'm not telling you to vote libertarian. I'm just telling you he's a libertarian. He never forces you to go one way or the other. He just tells you, this way is life when you eat from the tree of life, which is obeying me. And it starts bringing order into your life. If you choose between the knowledge of tree of good and evil, because most people go, I'm not going to go to hell. I had a relative. I won't mention who it was. They didn't go here. Relative said, I'm not going to go to hell. I've always chosen good for the most part. That's not the question. Most people do choose good. Some people choose evil. But a lot of people do choose good. That's not, that's not even on the table. You're judging your life by something that God does not judge your life by. He judges your life. Did you obey me, follow my agenda, surrender your will? If you do, that brings life. If not, you're going your own way. Maybe it's pretty good. But in the end, the way is death. Ultimately, spiritually, soulishly, and I do believe in Scripture, uh, hell is a huge talked about subject. Well, why does God send you to hell? He doesn't. He says, here's the tree of life. Here's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. One leads to death and one leads to life. And so there's this divine division going on, and it's reached such epidemic proportions, entire nations are committed to lawlessness and death. I don't even have to mention the the name of the nations that's been talked about the last month because people get all wound up about choosing sides and different stuff. But you look at the nations that's trying to kill other nations. This whole nations have gone this way. And our country is bordering on it all over everywhere. And we just need to be very, very careful and go, why do we choose death? Well, we never choose it, but when we choose our own way, it leads to death. And so we talked a lot about that. So I'm just telling you today, and we're going to take a little different tack here. The Lord wants us to focus on three things. Focus on faith, 
not fear. Fear tries to grip you, man. I mean, you know, uh, the Department of Justice head, whatever that dude's name is, Merrick Garland, warned that we're going to see Hamas sell terrorists and Hezbollah terrorists in this country. He says it's going to happen. Yeah. So we can choose to walk in fear or we can choose to say, I will not die before my time. God has a plan for my life. God has a purpose in my life. And when I'm telling you, when you stay in the center of His will, you will not die before your time. I can't tell you what might happen in the meantime, but you will not. I learned that three years ago last month when I was in the hospital and had an out-of-death body experience and knew I took my last breath. Obviously, what didn't happen, and I'm still here. I've shared that story before. not going to share it tonight. That convinced me even more. I am not going to die before my time, even though the devil tried to kill me. Um, focus on family. Develop. Spend this time getting closer to your biological family and your spiritual family because we need the encouragement. We need the maturity. And we talked all about this two weeks ago. We need the wisdom. And we need the camaraderie. And the Lord together will take us through it. And then just focus on what your stuff. Um, unless you're called to be a senator or a national leader, to listen to the news if you want to, keep up with it. But let me tell you, you have absolutely... You know how much influence, I think, I'm speaking for everybody in here, you know how much influence we have in here on national politics? Zero. That's it. Zero. You go, well, that's not true. Well, how? Well, I'm going to vote next year. Okay, next year we have an influence. This year you have zero. Maybe a little bit if you write your letters to your senator. Now, you do have a lot when you pray. You can pray and you can intercede, but we, but stay in your lane and realize I can pray and intercede. But if I'm getting all wound up about national stuff, usually when we get frustrated, you've stepped out of God's will and you're doing your own thing. When you feel frustration, realize I'm not focused anymore. Amen? All right. So... Let's, uh, let's talk about the order in the life down there. Um, Genesis 2.8. So you all ready to go through some verses real fast here? Because there's hope for us in this room. He's going to bring order to your life, and He's going to bring life into your order, or from order as you obey Him. Genesis 2.8. One of the original things that God said over Adam and Eve. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, And there he put the man he had formed. Let's jump down to verse 15 of Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Turn around to somebody and say, work is God. Work is good. Maybe not the job you have now, but if you don't have one, we're going to believe for one. Verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. We already talked about this. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you shall surely die. Jump back up to Genesis 1.27. We call it the original mandate, the original command. We often say, well, what's the first and greatest command? The love, love the Lord your God of all your heart, mind, and soul. And that is true. But before then, before the Ten Commandments, was this commandment. And this is where we're going to zero in on you guys. So God created man in His own image. Turn look like Him. I'm His favorite. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, here we go, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. 
What's my point? He never rescinded this commandment. Each of you don't have a literal Garden of Eden like we'll talk about Adam and Eve, but He has given you a garden with boundaries. Adam and Eve had boundaries. Boundaries are not bad. He gave, he's given each of you a Garden of Eden to till. It could be a literal house, but it's much bigger than that. If you have any family members around you, and I think all of you here have family members around you, that's part of your garden. Just sub, not subdue, not to subvert, not to rule over, but to influence. This could really get interesting. Matthew 6, 9. We've got part of it quoted back there on the wall on the, the way out. But your job, whatever your influence is, you know what your influence is. It's different for each of you. That is your garden, and it may be full of weeds, or it may be starting to look pretty good. Go sometime. I saw this documentary this past week on, uh, what's his name, Rick Steves, Europe, YouTube channel, travel channel. I like to channel. I like to travel. It was uh, on the the uh, palaces of France. And some of you have probably already seen that. Have you ever seen, like, the gardens at Versailles, Versailles, Versailles France? Versailles, there you go. Oh my gosh, I can't even keep a five by five of my yard looking like that. I have no idea how many, and I got eight acres. I don't know how many gardeners they have. There is not a grass clipping out of place. It's not a bush out of place. It's just immaculate. My garden does not look like that. But I don't even care if my yard looks like that. But I do want my family to look like that. I want my house to get better. I want my influence's job to get better. I want my relationships with the friends to start looking like Versailles, France. You get my point. So how do we do this? Matthew 6, 9. This then is how you should pray. So let's say you pray over your garden. You've been given a garden. It's got boundaries. So don't come over into my yard. Well, if you want to come over and cut my grass, you can come over and do that part. I don't mind that boundary. But don't come over and try to tell me how to run my family. Unless you prayed up and really gotten something wisdom there. Take care of your family. And when your family looks like Versailles, France, I'm going to come over and go, how did you do that? That's one of the greatest witnessing tools is to get your Garden of Eden in order. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your, your name. Praise your name. Start praising the Father. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if part of your house is being overgrown with weeds, the bushes need to be whacked. Whatever. You know I'm doing metaphors here. Maybe you've got a kid, not this kid back here, but maybe you got a kid that needs to be whacked. I'm not talking about literal whacking them, but they need some shears taken along somewhere along the way. I've got you thinking, haven't I? You know what I'm talking about. There's that uncle. Craig, well, I'll put you Uncle Craig. Is Joseph still in here or did he leave? Oh, yeah, he's back here. That Uncle Craig, Thanksgiving's coming up. They're debating. I'm not sure I'm going to the reunion this year because Uncle Craig is there. You get the, you get the point. And so those are our garden that we can pray, Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in my garden as it is in heaven. That's good stuff. Psalm 16.5. Y'all still awake? Even though it's getting a little later. 
I appreciate you all moving to Sunday nights. We had a word several months ago during one of the vertical worships that the Lord is going to expand our influence. And we're still working through that. And I know for some of you it's harder on Sunday nights. But do you realize what's happened on Sunday mornings? Jan's been at other churches and prophesied. I've been at other churches and prophesied and spoke. Our influence has grown. Uh, Martin Canones has spoken here on Sunday night. M- Michael Watkins has spoken here on Sunday night. Michael Watkins will be here next week. Eventually, besides our own in-house speakers, there will be most of the roundtable speakers cycle through here. We need something from them, but they also need something from us. There's a transfer to them of ideas, presence, worship that will take back to their other churches that's already started just because we shifted eight hours. And so it is, some ways it's an inconvenience, but it's expanded our influence greatly. Psalm 16.5, The Lord is my inheritance, my cup. You are the one who determines my destiny. I love this part. Verse 6, 19, Psalm 16.6. I think I got this from Jan, from the thing you sent me this week. I don't know. I took different notes. Your boundary lines mark out pleasant places for me. Indeed, my inheritance is something beautiful. You're going, you haven't seen Uncle Craig. It's beautiful. It's just needs some shears. Through your love, patience, doing whatever God gives you, eventually, whatever that part of your garden, I mean, it may be your house, maybe your job, it may be relatives, whatever it is, he, he can just start calling and go, this, Uncle Craig's going to be beautiful. Uncle Craig's, this is going to happen, and that's going to happen. Just start prophesying over it. Maybe not to their face. That probably wouldn't be good. But just start just saying it behind the scenes. And I thank you, Father. If your kingdom come cannot influence this, your kingdom is pretty weak. Why am I even following you? Now, we don't control, but we can pray and ask for strategies. Um, Jeremiah 1.5 this is a prophecy to Jeremiah, but I'd say it's to you too. Jeremiah 1.5 Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before your mother's egg and your father's sperm came together, he already knew you and called you a name, gave you boundaries and gave you a destiny. You not only were about to get a physical DNA coming together when that egg, when that birth happened, that conception happened, you were getting a spiritual DNA that had been preconceived and came out of heaven. Because, see, this is what's happening. God will reclaim this entire earth one day. No matter how bad it may get in certain areas, He will reclaim the entire earth. This entire earth will be His. And it doesn't start when His feet hit the Mount Olives. It is starting now. He's just going to wrap this whole thing up because we're good, but we're not quite that good. And even when we're good, it's His anointing and power and strategies that's working through us. His kingdom is expanding now through you, just loving Uncle Craig. It's that simple. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart for my holy purpose. I appointed you, now this was specifically for Jeremiah, I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. 
So that Uncle Craig or nephew whoever or supervisor whoever is just off the scale, not great, go, they have a spiritual DNA. They have boundaries. They have a nation. God set them apart for holy purposes. They just don't know it yet. Like the Jews we were talking about 30 minutes ago. And just start saying, Father, I'm going to stand in the gap for these guys because I love them. Nobody else does. They may never even know it. They'll know it when they get to heaven. I stand in the gap. Father, I call forth their destiny. I call forth their holy purpose. I call forth their their spiritual DNA along with their physical DNA. And I'm going to keep praying it till I die. You just keep doing that. I mean, you don't have to wear yourself out, but just do it on a daily basis. And um, let me tell you this. I'm going to sort of wrap up of a, not that it's going to end right away, but wrap up of a charge. He wants you to prosper in your field. And I'm using a metaphor. I'm not a farmer. I'm a software developer. So he wants me to, that's how I make my living, plus father of sometimes seems like many kids. He wants you to prosper in your field. And there is a path already predetermined for you if we'll obey and not be lawless, which be a law unto ourselves. That path has power and prosperity at the end. But you have to fight for it to a certain degree. You have to believe for it. You have to walk in it. You can't just say, well, if it's God, it will sovereignly happen. No, that's not true. You had to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. He just didn't come down with a hammer, whack you on the head and say you're now saved. He did convict you. He did draw you. He did give you insight. But in the end, you had to say, yes, I agree, and I bend my name to your name. And it's the same way with this. And if you'll do that, the rest he'll take care of. One of the biggest things that I see happening now, and we talked about it from 530 on to 620, is He is rightly aligning us like I have never seen in my life. It's brutal. And I've been saying it for years. It gets worse every year. I'm, I'm taking 2024 off. If I'm going to take up an offering, go to Barbados, just hang out on the beach, see if you all support me. Would you all do that? I need quite a bit. Pay for a hotel, flight, salary for a year. I'm just going to take 2024 off. Don't we want to do that sometime? I have never seen him trying to internally align us in our attitudes and our motives. I mean, it's brutal. Am I the only one? Maybe I'm so far out of whack, y'all going, I'm glad Craig, God finally got a hold of Craig. He's been ignoring us. He's not following us. But he's going so deep. I'm like, dude, I don't even think that deep. Why am I doing this? He goes, it's down there. Why is he doing that? Because he wants to prosper us. When he's doing that, he's getting the weeds out of us so that we can prosper more. And that prosper, he prospers us on the inside and then it overflows on the outside for other people. And what I'm seeing is if we'll say yes, that's all you gotta do is say yes. All you gotta do is say yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. I was gonna do a Mandalorian joke, but I'm probably the only one that knows it, so I'll go on. I guess I gotta say it now. In the next, in the last episode of season three of Mandalorian, Gugal, the little Yoda deal, all he's learned to say is yes and no. Yes, no, yes. Because he's a little kid. 
Okay. So forget all that. I can tell nobody's seen the Mandalorian. It's a great series. What's the biblical principle? You know, we couldn't go wrong with just saying yes and no. That's all we say. Yes and a no to the devil. Yes to God, no to the devil. If you say nothing else, you're going to come out all right. Yes to obedience, no to lawlessness. Make your answers yes. Yes. So there's a, even though I had a little side moment, we, uh, it's a great lesson there. Because this is what I'm finding. When we say yes to God, He breathes on us life. Adam and Eve were in the garden. He had, well, Adam, Eve wasn't yet, but He made Adam. He's just laying there. He's a bag of bones and chemicals. I don't know if it's true or not, but like 40 years ago, I heard somebody say they took the value of the chemicals in a guy's body. It was like $1.97. So you're worth at least $1.97 plus 40 years of inflation. Maybe you're up to 10 bucks. But what made the difference? God breathed into him. And whenever we say yes, Lord, or no, whatever the appropriate scenario is, he breathes on you. He is breathing on people more than I've ever seen it. It's exciting when we say yes. And you know what the flip side I'm seeing is? When we go down that first route of lawlessness, the devil is breathing on people like I've never seen before. The irrationality just in our country is mind-boggling. It is way beyond rational thought. I'm not getting into all that stuff. You pick whatever side you want. But some of the things that are being said and done are beyond mental human rationality. It is the demonic spirit breathing on them, and they're saying stuff, and I'm like, humans shouldn't even think that way. Huh? (laughs) And so there's breaths, two breaths being breathed right now. Say yes to obedience, and you get his breath blowing on you. So what are some steps to help tend our guard? Just real quick summary on One, submission. We've already talked about that. Yes, yes, yes. And then once you say that, and when you come up against the wall of a ornery Uncle Craig, a bad employer, financial problems, broken down cars, whatever it is, go to the Lord and say, I have said yes to you the best I know how. I am not perfect. When I wasn't, I've repented. 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins. Then ask Him for strategies and plans to move forward. I mean, you could come to me, you could come to somebody else, we could brainstorm, and God may be in it, may not be in it, may be good ideas, and that that helps. But in the end, you need to go to the Lord and just say, Lord, what am I supposed to do? I've given you everything. I've done what I'm supposed to do. I need a strategy here, how to deal with this employee or deal with this supervisor or deal with whatever your job is or Uncle Henry or Uncle Craig or whatever. Just go and just say, uh, I need a strategy and plan. And I'm telling you, he's, he's given it. Now, one thing that many people miss that I, I want to throw out is there's almost always a timing to every strategy. He'll give you a strategy. And then sometimes he's told me, well, you can't do this for two weeks. Why? Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not. Sometimes you see it later, sometimes you're not. But listen to the timing. Um, if, he's, if you're having relationship issues, say, Lord, how should I approach this? 
when should I approach it, and what is the tone of how I'm supposed to approach this? Sometimes we get self-righteous, and you may have the answer, but if your tone comes across wrong, it's not going to work, and you just wasted it. And now you got to go, Father, I've got two problems. What am I to do? The first one is probably to apologize. But ask him for timing and ask him for tone. And um, I'm telling you, just to leave on an encouraging note, the world needs you and the Holy Spirit that you carry. Don't underestimate it. They need your anointing. They need your wisdom that is growing every day inside of you. This world will not much longer survive on the wisdom of men. It's, it's just at the end of the ropes. Uh, Economic-wise, we're in a mess. Uh, we could be in Third World War by the time we get together next Sunday night. The wisdom of man is at the end. Now, so that's why he needs people like us in our areas of influence to have the, the pray, get the strategies, the wisdom of God to, to prosper our field, uh, to prosper our Garden of Eden. I cannot overemphasize how essential each of you are to the, to the army of God. It is not a one-man show. And he is raising up an army that is purified, that is passionate for him, that is powerful for him, and that is partnering with him. And I just want to tell you, I believe in you. And we're going to make it through the end of our lives. Mine may be shorter than nephew Joseph back here, who's barely out of diapers at 26. What are you, 26? Today. Today? Yeah, I mean, you probably look back and still remember being in diapers, can't you? I'm giving him a hard time. So some of us may be closer to the end, but we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna finish this thing. And we're gonna do this thing together. And your knowledge may be tested, your character will be tested. But in God, think of this, you never fail. You just get do-overs. Do 1 John 1, 9, try it again. Um, there may be times of loneliness. There may be times of discouragement. The devil brings this to you to try to stop you, and it's a mental game. Uh, we handled a lot of this from 5.30 to 6.20. I gave you a good model. Just get back before the Lord and say, my emotions do not and will not be my God. That's easier to say than done. But the Spirit of the Lord, I need some of that ADD medicine. I need the Holy Spirit to rise up and tell my mind, and I'll tell my mind, shut up, mind. What you're saying is unredeemed. Until you start speaking like God does, I'm, I'm going to have to just keep rebuking you. <clears throat> and this, and um, so as we do close, two minutes here, we're follow the King today wherever He goes. Amen. We're never going to let these two words. You remember, you'll remember me doing this in the DR in a different form. Um, we're never going to let these two words cross our mouths. I quit. You may think it, because I do a lot. You may desire it. I do it a lot, in whatever area. But I don't say it. When you say it, Proverbs 18.21 says, there's power and death in the life of the tongue. So don't let it cross your tongue. Rebuke your mind. Tell it to shut up. And with the power of the Holy Spirit... 
We're going to exercise courage among this group of people, resolve and faithfulness to never, ever retreat from the enemies of the cross. Amen? To never compromise our convictions. To never give an inch to the enemy. And this is a good one. With the power of the Holy Spirit, we're never going to give up on anything that God has given to us and entrusted to our care. Let's stand. It generally is along the purpose of what Martin Luther did. Uh, it's all their fault and going to wipe them out? Yeah, pretty much. And they're being unfair to the Palestinians or whoever. And they may be unfair in some degrees. Uh, they're not perfect. But um, I don't want to go down that route. But most of it, they see the Jews as enemies of the cross. And they are an enemy of the cross at this moment. But you know... How old were you when you got saved? Yeah, I'm just picking you out of it anyway. Okay, so he said 13. Probably been better, if not that he was better if he was 45, but he's older. At 12, he was an enemy of the cross. You get my point? You were 21, so at 20, you're an enemy of the cross. We're applying double standards here. And it's driven by demonic spirit because the devil knows. He's read Revelation. All these Christians got to do is got to read Revelation, read Romans. It's a mental chapter. You got to get your brain on. You know, Romans and Hebrew is not like reading John and the Gospels. But you read that. This thing ends up for Jesus Christ to come back. There needs to be a revival of the Jews. It's going to be one of the signs. So let's kill them. Then Jesus Christ can't come back. It's as simple as that. If we kill them, and he's tried with Haman, Hitler, I mean everybody all through. If he kills them, the prophecy cannot be fulfilled. And so when they get down these thoughts and go down these rabbit holes, it's not rational. It is a spiritual thought. Some of the things that you're seeing and hearing, not even talking about Jews and Hamas, just other crazy beliefs about whatever, sexuality and different things, it just doesn't even make sense. It's like, what possessed you? And that's the statement that is true. Any other comments, questions, disagreements? Have you actually been to Luzerne? Is that Luzerne, Switzerland? Yeah, I see the curls. I've been that, have you ever been there? I've been there twice. It's my favorite place on earth. That's where y'all can send me next year is Luzerne. I'll go to Luzerne. We'll forget Barbados. Huh? <laughs> Beautiful place. It's in the middle of the Swiss Alps. Oh! See, you won't have to raise as much money. Now I'm going to stay at his chateau for free. Any other comments, questions? Because I have greatly diverged. But it's been fun. Tim.
And so it was just one of those moments where like, oh my gosh, Lord, I need help. And uh, we were able to put it out. And like, if you looked at my yard, you would see a huge bird pile from where it started. So I just want to say. When, when was that yesterday? Uh, trying to think where I was because we're neighbors, if you didn't know. Yeah, I, it's, t- it's totally selfish. I didn't want to come over on my house. <laughs> Take care of that garden, baby. <laughs> I was totally oblivious. 